Today from the global lane, tensions rising, inevitable Taiwan war threat, Washington roadblocks in the effort to stop Chinese aggression. Our leaders are captured by the Chinese Communist Party. There may be as many as 40 members of the United States Senate. There may be 100 members of the United States House of Representatives who are as well, and they've been bought. Collusion and corruption. One probe comes to an end, another heats up. Will anyone be held accountable? Where are the mainstream media and the Democrats? If a scandal falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, is there a scandal? Uh, and that's what's happening here. A Las Vegas school teacher forces a 15-year-old to recite porn in the classroom. The school's response? She could have said no. How outrageous is that? And losing our religion. Why Americans are switching faiths. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Growing tensions between the U.S. and China. Is war over Taiwan coming? Appearing on CNBC this week, billionaire Elon Musk says there's some inevitability to a communist government takeover of Taiwan. He's not a billionaire, but Frank Gaffney's here to share his thoughts on this and to provide some other insights on China. Mr. Gaffney is executive director of the Center for Security Policy, author of the just-released book, The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Frank, it's good to talk with you again. So, do you agree with Elon Musk? He says we need to take China seriously. Their stated policy is to regain Taiwan. They mean it. So is war over Taiwan certain or can it be uh, averted? It's a great question, Gary. It's good to be back with you. Uh, it depends. It depends on us. War is certain with China. In fact, it's so certain that we've actually been in one with China for about three decades. Most of us don't know it. The subject of this new book, The Indictment, is to lay out what that war has entailed and the horrific costs that have been inflicted upon us by the Chinese Communist Party and their enablers inside our own country in the course of, uh, as I say, going back at least to 1999, the unrestricted warfare that China's waged against us. But your question is to the possibility of a shooting war being another and new and very, very horrific phase of that ongoing people's war, as the Chinese call it. They, they actually officially declared a people's war against us back in May of 2019, by the way. But the next step, the one that I think Xi Jinping is absolutely determined to take, and seems poised to take, is the one that would involve the physical assault in one fashion or another against Taiwan. And it is the expert opinion of the people that we've been consulting with who contributed through about 70 plus webinars to kind of the contents of this book that China will go after us you say many of our government leaders are helping them to defeat us. So what are they doing? What are our leaders doing? Our leaders are captured by the Chinese Communist Party. That's a term they call uh, elite capture. Um, they have been, in some cases, for decades. In the case of Joe Biden, it's, uh, what, 15 years at least, back when he was vice president. That's now, I think, indisputable based on not only Hunter's lone laptop, but the revelations of the House Oversight Committee in the past few days. 
But the truth of the matter is, um, as my colleague Trevor Loudon points out, there may be as many as 40 members of the United States Senate who are similarly compromised. There may be 100 members of the United States House of Representatives who are as well. And then there's all those other sectors, and they've been bought, basically, by the Chinese Communist Party, usually in just old-fashioned cash, but uh, sometimes sexual favors, sometimes they're coerced, sometimes they're ideologically aligned. But whatever it is, the leadership of our country, not in every case, obviously, but in enough, is in the pocket of the Chinese Communist Party, and that makes infinitely more difficult everything we have to do and infinitely easier everything the Chinese want to do okay, to us. So and when I say Chinese, I mean the Chinese Communist Party. I don't think it's the people of China. I think it's their leadership. So, Frank, what do we do about it? We have 20 different action items in this book, The Indictment. Uh, nine charges, starting with crimes against humanity, and then eight war crimes against our country, because properly understood, the Chinese Communist Party is a transnational criminal organization. So when it wages unrestricted warfare or people's warfare against us, it's a war crime. But drawing on all of that, we've come up with 20 actions that we think are practicable, hard in most cases, yes, but absolutely necessary. If we're not only to deter that shooting more, but we're to prevent the pre-kinetic one that's been underway for so long from achieving its desired effect, which is to remove the United States as the one real impediment to the Chinese Communist Party's ambitions to be the global hegemon. At the end of the day, whether we pull this off or not to survive our country is going to depend on God's grace. You know, we've got to do our part, but uh, this is spiritual warfare of the first magnitude. And uh, I'm prayerful that we still enjoy that grace. We haven't deserved it for a long time. I think that's fair. And you guys help chronicle that every day. But uh, I think it's in God's hands. And um, if he's still on our side, and I pray that he is, uh, we'll get through this. Okay. It's already a bestseller on Amazon. The new book is The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Frank Gaffney, thank you for being with us. We always appreciate it. It's a privilege, and thank you for your time, my friend. Good to talk with you. God bless you. A giant and very dangerous hoax. That's how Donald Trump described the Russia collusion probe after special counsel John Durham released his final report this week. Durham spent four years investigating the probe's origins. Now, as that investigation ends, the special prosecutor concludes that the FBI, quote, failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law when it launched the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. Well, joining us to weigh in on Durham's report and the Hunter Biden investigation is former assistant federal prosecutor for Northern California, Attorney John O'Connor. Durham said the FBI based its Trump investigation on flimsy evidence provided or funded by his political opponents. So your thoughts about Durham's conclusions? Well, Durham's conclusions to some degree uh, are not surprising once one's read the Horowitz report earlier, at least the overall conclusion that this was a hoax. But what Durham's report does quite dramatically, and I followed this closely and I was very much stunned by the confluence of events. Not only was the FBI opening a crossfire hurricane with absolutely no basis, and he goes into that, and it's stunning how little basis there is to open it. But what's more troubling is 
is that was preceded by actionable, credible intelligence from Russian sources that John Brennan said that Hillary Clinton was cooking up the Russian collusion hoax against Donald Trump as part of her campaign as a way of explaining her problems with the downloaded material from the DNC servers. James Comey and John Brennan, did they investigate Hillary's plan for electoral interference, which is what it was? No, they did just the opposite. They formed a, according to Durham, a fusion team, which is all the big, the big agencies get together and, and to the exclusion of the regular ground guys, the regular guys on the street that do this investigation. And what they did was, rather than investigate Hillary, they got together to investigate exactly what Hillary wanted them to investigate, which is Russian electoral interference, which she then points to Trump. They were active in getting into this and helping Hillary in a plan they knew to be disingenuous, they knew to be false, and furthermore, they knew that Hillary was using Russian operatives uh, to, to, to carry out this plan. So we had our intelligence agencies participating in Russian collusion electoral interference in conjunction with the Clinton campaign to falsely accuse Donald Trump. Now, that's a lot different than just seeing, being a little bit partisan and neglecting your duty and not being careful and all that. This was sinister. Durham only got one conviction, two acquittals. Will anyone be held accountable for this? Well, here's the problem. These are clever people. They know how not to put, uh, uh, you know, put their fingerprints on a criminal activity. They can act, oh, negligent, or I thought this, or I thought that. So it looks, it can look like bad judgment. It can look like really nasty activity, but not provable beyond a reasonable doubt. So they're not going to be easily convicted criminally. You better do something really overt and clear. So we have to read this, and we hope that the media will justly uh, portray this. I'm not confident that all the media will do that, Gary. Well, we're trying. Uh, one big investigation is complete now, John. Another one is heating up. The House Government Oversight Committee's probe of alleged Biden family corruption. So what do you think of the recent 38-page report released by committee Republicans? Is it just conjecture? Is there hard evidence that can be used in court? Is there criminality here or just unethical behavior? Well, I think in this case, everything points to criminal behavior. Uh, all fraud is proven by inference. Fraudsters don't come into court and say, by the way, I intended to do this. I, I'm corrupt. I intended to be corrupt. You always prove your cases by circumstantial evidence, usually on a conspiracy basis. And I think there's plenty there, in my view, to show, number one, money laundering and what they call structuring. Um, and uh, that is to say, having different devices intended to fool the authorities as to what was happening in a corrupt transaction. I also think that Hunter Biden uh, was an unregistered foreign agent. Now. Anyone who conspires with him in his illegal activities is also a co-conspirator and potentially criminally liable. And so if Joe Biden knew, knew this and, uh, and uh, participated in the scheme for him to his son to act as an unregistered foreign agent, corruptly or otherwise, just as an unregistered foreign agent, that pits him 
uh, as a uh, potentially uh, in the line of fire here. I think a special counsel has to be uh, appointed right now. There's clear evidence of a conflict because, after all, Joe Biden's the, the boss of Merrick Garland. So you have to appoint one. And yet it's not being done because uh, people aren't pointing it out. And you and others like you, Gary, are doing a really good job. But the, you know, the CNNs and MSNBCs of the world and the major uh, networks are not. And so hopefully there's enough going now that they may cover it. Here's a development I'm sure you want to weigh in on. An internal revenue service whistleblower reveals that the entire team investigating Hunter Biden for tax evasion has been removed from the IRS probe. And it reminds me a bit of Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre at the DOJ in October 1973. I'm sure you remember that well. So what do you make of this one? Well, that was, my father's law partner was one of the people fired in the Saturday Night Massacre, so we know it very well. Uh, but yes, uh, this is a massacre, but it's done by stealth and by poisoning. And nobody was supposed to know about this. And, and it really is very bothersome. That's another thing that I think it's well within the congressional purview to investigate because that itself is a form of obstruction of justice. I know you're not gonna criminally convict anybody for this, but that's what is happening. It is interference with an investigation, whoever did this, and it just needs, it needs accountability. This should not happen. I mean, they, they have the guy clearly on tax evasion and uh, and who knows what else. But uh, the other part of this is that I'm not so sure that his father is not going to be implicated in this, at least as an unindicted co-conspirator, if this thing is prosecuted correctly. Okay, finally then, John, you've written books on the Watergate scandal. The latest is The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened. You know well about how that one unfolded, but it only led to Nixon's resignation uh, once Republicans joined with Democrats to make the president accountable. So how about this Biden investigation? Might it lose steam because Democrats aren't joining in? They and the mainstream media, as you said, are debunking the initial conclusions and the Comer Committee report. What do you think? Well, in Watergate, water didn't get off the ground until the press weighed in. And, and uh, uh, the media, the electronic media, as well as the written media, and that's not happening here. So if a scandal falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, is there a scandal? Uh, and that's what's happening here. Okay, Attorney John O'Connor, thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate you, John. Thank you, Gary. A Las Vegas area school teacher is accused of forcing a 15-year-old girl to recite a pornographic monologue, and the school covered it up. That's the allegation in a lawsuit brought by the American Center for Law and Justice against the Clark County School District. ACLJ attorney Benjamin Sisney was one of the attorneys filing the complaint. He's here with us now. Tell us, Ben, what happened with this student and the sexually explicit obscene monologue that she was required to recite before the entire class as a graded assignment? Well, and that's a, that's, a, that's a key point you just raised. It was a graded assignment. This wasn't some voluntary project or something on the side. This was a teacher in a, in a, you know, a trusted position of authority and a teacher that this student particularly liked and trusted uh, presenting this, this assignment to this student. Um, you know, it, it's a graded assignment, consequences for refusing to perform it. And what what was the assignment? Well, I, obviously, I'm not going to to read the, the content of the obscene monologue that this student was made to read on your program. 
uh, even if I wanted to, um, I would fear violating FCC rules. And interestingly enough, uh, the student's mother was shut down at the school board meeting for simply trying to read verbatim what her daughter, a 15-year-old, I emphasize, was given to read as the graded assignment. She could, the mother couldn't even read it at the school board meeting without getting shut down. And by the way, if I could, if I could make it sound even worse, uh, that's that uh, the, the teacher has doubled down defending what she did and blaming the student because she could have said no. I, I, I just I, I ask you, she could have said no. I mean, you, you see this kind of behavior. So when you victimize someone and then you blame that person because she could have said no, that's horrendous. Well, tell, tell me about that, because I know teacher Kelly Hawes, as you said, uh, contends a student could have just objected uh, to reciting this monologue, and that's that obscene story written by another student, by the way, about a lesbian's rejection of a man. So how do you respond to that? Because what was the reason the teacher made this assignment to begin with? Well, I don't know what the reason the teacher had uh, for, for, well, I, I suppose the assignment itself of giving students, having them draft monologues uh, and, and for the other students in the class to practice, you know, reading or performing a monologue. Uh, in, and she in a, in rewrote them. Did, didn't she rewrite that? She saw them ahead of time and rewrote them before they were recited? She, so, so she, yes. She, said, she says she edited it uh, ahead of time, so it wasn't as bad uh, as it was initially. Um, now, uh, but, but to, to your other question, um, I, I, I want to remind your viewers that a minor, especially this age uh, of a minor, is legally incapable of consent to sexual activity, uh, being you know coerced into performing or, or reading or reciting pornographic or obscene material, a minor cannot legally consent. There's a reason for that. Uh, also, I want to emphasize that um, there there are laws in place in Nevada and around the country that place a heightened obligation on individuals in positions of authority, uh, you know, ranging from clergy to teachers and and the like, because recognizing the importance of that uh, trusted position of authority that they have. So when a teacher, and, and, and indeed the student, our client in this case, said part of her rationale in going ahead and, and, and performing this was, well, I trusted my teacher and she thinks this was okay. I guess it's okay and I just have to, you know, just trust her and just go ahead with it. So Ben, it's okay to uh, read it in class for a 15-year-old to read it out loud in class to her fellow students and to the teacher and whoever's present, uh, but not for a parent who uh, is of age uh, to do it publicly at a school board meeting. Then something's wrong there, isn't it? The the the, the twisted irony is is it's almost too much to take. I mean. So it's not obscene. We can make a student read this. By the way, this isn't, uh, uh, and not that it, it justifies anything inherently, but just for context's sake, because, uh, for example, the First Amendment can be context-specific. Uh, certain things might be okay in one setting but not another. Um, this was not biology class, right, uh, where the student was given. This was, this was just acting class. Um, and also the context of where the mother attempted to read, uh, simply recite that same dialogue, was the school board. That is the forum for parents to address issues with the school. Uh, it is a free speech issue. I guess freedom of speech also is a freedom not to say something. 
So what do you expect is going to happen now? Is, is it an out-of-court settlement? Is that likely uh, in this free speech case? They're doubling down. They're defending it. They, they, they're basically contending that the school has the right to, to make a student read something like that for a grade and that the school, school board has the right to shut down a parent for attempting to tell them what the school was making her 15-year-old read for a grade um, and blaming the student. Again, the victimization is unbelievable. She could have said no. How outrageous is that? Well, the teacher could have uh, edited that so it wouldn't be an issue. Okay, Ben Sisney, the American Center for Law and Justice, thanks for sharing your perspective and this case with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Remember the old REM song, Losing My Religion? Well, an increasing number of Americans are changing their religion. A Public Religion Research Institute survey found that nearly one out of four Americans said they'd either changed their religious traditions or denominations within their lifetime or recently. That's up by 50 percent over 2021. More than half said they switched because they stopped believing in the teachings of the faith that they followed. 39 percent of those without religious affiliation said they left the Catholic Church. 28% said they'd been in a non-evangelical Protestant church. And no surprise here, but younger people, those of Generation Z, are shunning religion or switching faster than other Americans. But there is good news. The American Bible Society reports that with the COVID pandemic emergency now over, more Americans are returning to church. Their survey out this month found that 67% of church attendees are now attending services in person. That compares to only 38% in 2021. And Generation Zers, the largest group shunning or changing their religion, is now the largest group ditching online services for in-person attendance. In-church attendance for them is up from 52% in 2022 to 72% today. Folks, what this means to me is that people are changing their religion because they're not finding what they need. They're searching for the truth. And for Christians who walk the walk, not just talk the talk once they leave the church building. They want to know and experience genuine faith. Let's make sure we take the time and effort to introduce them to Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, SoundCloud, and now on Rumble. And until next time, be blessed.